One is a classic stop-motion Aardman adventure in the vein of The Great Escape. The other is a long-overdue sequel framed as a heist, or infiltration, type of movie. Chicken Run. They remade it. And welcome back to another episode of They Remade It. I'm your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. And we welcome you to a brand new season, season number... <coughs> six. Are we... Six. six. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I was I was sitting here thinking like, wait, I, I know it, but I don't know it. <laughs> it's 2018, and the, yeah, we've almost reached a year. I think we started mid-February, maybe? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we did. Because, yeah, it wasn't quite... Um, it wasn't quite lined up with the new year the first time we started. Yeah, so I mean this will probably go live around the time that the six year hits. So yeah, fair. Uh, but yes, uh, welcome back everybody. I hope you had wonderful holidays. I know I had a holiday. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I had a holiday too. There's a lot of you know yeah doing taking care of this you know commitments and you know seeing seeing who you can see all the different holidays that happen around that time. Uh, it's yeah. Great. For me, holidays begin in like mid October because that's when a few birthdays begin in my life, and then it just kind of doesn't stop until really even mid January technically. So uh, it's been a time. And, and over the over the Christmas break, we at one point did fifteen hours of driving in one day, and the last three hours of it were all like back roads, and it was oh boy, that was a lot. <laughs> so, at least you had someone to do it with. Uh, doing that alone yeah, is no. miserable. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, I know I probably would have lost my mind if Hannah weren't there. Um, but hey, we got to go see both our families in the end. And overall, we got some cool stuff. I personally got some some paint brushes to paint models and stuff, as if I didn't need to more firmly cement myself as a nerd. But you know, nice. You gonna do anything with those models, or you can... I'm mainly like painting like minis and stuff to start off right now. But I'm gonna try to work up to doing like dioramas and stuff. Okay. Yeah, you know, just you know, something to. Something to do. Nice little hobby. Good on you. Did you get any cool swag? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I got some things that I, I generally like. I got a couple of uh, filmic releases uh, for my uh, collection, which I appreciate. Some gaming stuff. Uh, some more old retro things. I got a mixer, which was the big thing that I got. Uh, that was actually for my oh. birthday because I've had a hand mixer for a while. Um, and I like hand mixers. Don't get me wrong. But I've been wanting a standing yeah. one for a bit. And I, I got one of those, which was nice. Oh, I, yeah, sandwiches are the best. Yeah, I, I like kitchen supplies, even though I mostly bake. I, <laughs> which I mean, mixer I mean, good hey. for. So, oh yeah, it's extremely rad. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know why I decided to go with Christmas gifts this, this, this start of the season. Normally, I know we start with our what we've seen over the holidays, but we can do that now, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> sure, let's jump into that. You want to go or should I? <laughs> uh, I can go. Um, All right. Surprisingly, didn't watch a ton. To what I remember, um, mainly we're just kind of busy just hanging out with families and that sort of thing. Um, 
notably the notable ones two things we ticked off of hannah and i ticked off our list of movies we needed to see uh first first being i love you man which which is like the paul rudd and such and other mm-hmm. main characters um but just it was funny it was fine um i thought it was pretty not necessarily forgettable but it's definitely one of the ones of like okay i'm glad i watched it but i can't necessarily say i'll watch it again um it's basically just a bro chick flick in the end which that's kind of the whole point like, like they even posits that throughout the movie um but, you know i thought it was fine it's like if, it's kind of like if Step Brothers weren't as raunchy, which is pretty nice. Hmm. Um, All right. Yeah, it's a bit more t- a tamer version of Step Brothers. Um, but other than that, we also watched uh, When Harry Met Sally. Uh, the oh, okay. what we were told is basically the quintessential rom com. Which like, yeah, I get it. You know, Billy Crystal and such. Um, again, kind of similar situation. I liked it. I'm not personally a rom com person, but I think it's probably the best one I've seen. Um, it holds up very well. Beyond that, though, you know, very much saw it. Glad I saw it. Probably won't watch it again. Um, a lot of like, it seems like a lot of memes kind of come from that movie more than anything. Um, but yeah, otherwise, it's not necessarily my cup of tea. Yeah, um, at least I can comment on the second one since I've actually I have not seen I Love You Man. It, when you first said it, I was confusing it with the uh, Jim Carrey movie I Love You Philip Morris. But um, oh, the uh, but when Harry Met Sally uh, succeeds in his staying power because it is so character and dialogue focused i think whereas more often than not rom-coms are like the wacky hijinks that pull two opposites together and yeah yeah and this one's like actually it actually builds chemistry which is wow crazy yeah and between vignettes so it's like a a specific style of story as well where you know there's different time frames uh right which i which i like as a as a you know filming technique it actually lets characters grow yeah, I definitely liked it. It's, you know, like I said, best rom-com I've seen. I just can't necessarily say too much about it. That hasn't been said, really. Yeah. Um, And I think the one other major movie we watched, um, because I can't, because in the last few weeks we've been pretty busy. I don't think we've really watched anything in particular. Um, But while over Christmas break, we saw Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron. Oh, good. Um, I think, I think what I said when leaving the movie kind of sums up my feelings on it. It was, well, I understood some of that. Yeah. <laughs> um it's a very it, it very much is a very I'm trying to think of the word for it kind of cerebral film compared to even a lot of Miyazaki stuff. I I think a way I also said was it's like if it's spirited away for a more adult audience. Um which is fine. I liked it fine, but at the end of the day I kind of just left there more kind of confused than anything. It just kind of felt a little sloppy at times. Um not necessarily a problem. Obviously, it's Miyazaki's still gorgeous, so there's still a lot of messing. I think ultimately, like, I literally even looked it up afterwards. It's like, what is this movie meant to be about? And it's apparently mostly about, like, grief and that sort of thing, which is like, all right, I get it. But yeah. Um, like, yeah, it's, I, I'm not necessarily the smartest, you know, tack in the box. Um, so sometimes I'm just going to be like, listen, can you, someone just give me a quick, broad overarching of what this was supposed to mean? And it was like, grief. I'm like, cool. I, I can piece that together. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, I thought it was fine. It's far from my favorite of his, obviously. I've seen it get a lot of praise, obviously, but I don't know. I'm just kind of got a mixed bag about it. <laughs> One thing I saw that was actually really funny, which is kind of a tangent, though. I didn't read it, but it was like a headline talking about it. It said, the boy in the heron feels like Miyazaki saying goodbye. I'm like, how many times has he done this, though? Like, the last time he did this was The Wind Rises, and that definitely felt like a goodbye as well. Yeah, this is his, this is his fourth, I believe. He's been saying it yeah. since Spirited Away. In 2001, yeah. that was the first time he was like, I think this is it. And he's, yeah. he's done like Which five like, since then, five movies since then or something like that. So, yeah. 
which like fine i mean like obviously like, it's still you know i believe it was the guy who makes defunct land he did a tweet that was it said something like i absolutely hate the process of making videos the only thing i hate more than making videos is not making videos <laughs> it's like all right yeah no it's like i, I get it <laughs> that when you when you're in a creative space like that it's hard to really let go um but yeah i don't i like the visuals i liked the kind of background kind of cosmic weight of everything that was going on in it like without spoiling too much for folks there's like there's sort of a background of like cosmic power kind of going on in this movie it's almost got a lovecraftian vibe but just with a positive sheen um but i just kind of wish it was realized not necessarily more but at least realized differently because i just i didn't enjoy it as much as i really wanted to yeah. it also didn't help that in the theater we saw it in there were people sitting behind us that were just absolutely off the rocker laughing at every possible slightly funny thing i'm like man shut the fuck up <laughs> it's like just chill out it's a it's a miyazaki movie yeah, I, I think um, I think I mentioned it in the Little Mermaid episode last year, which I think is when I came to the show and said I had watched The Boy and the Heron. And yeah. I I liked it all right too. Uh I might have been slightly more positive on it than you were, but I Oh yeah. I, I'm I sure. think I think even in the moment I, I said, you know, this doesn't even break top five uh mm-hmm. for, for me in terms of those movies. That being said, like I, I do like a number of Ghibli films. You know, Princess Mononoke is my favorite. Spirit Away is hmm. up there. I like Kiki's Delivery Service. That being said, I don't think that Miyazaki's a good storyteller. I really don't. I think he does good outlines, and then hmm. the details get muddled, and the reason I'm able to give all of his films a passing grade is because they look so good, and there's so much care put into them. But as stories, there's, there's like... <laughs> I, I think... Uh, even Mononoke, I can't say, is, like, a really good story. I just like the... the I like the theming and the messaging... As far as stories mm-hmm. go, I think Whisper of the Heart and The Wind Rises are probably the only two that I think are, like, good, complete stories. But uh, yeah. also a lot of the them Wind follow, Rises... like, fairy tale beats, so they don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to hold up to higher scrutiny. I don't, it's, it's very complicated when you get down into it, uh, but I don't mind being overly critical of it because Miyazaki is, he, he just seems like such a pompous ass. I, I would not want to be around him for even a second. He seems miserable. Yeah, it, it, well, I know he's miserable. It seems like it. Well, yeah, but, you know. And yeah, I, I totally get what you mean there. It's like, The Wind Rises has the benefit of being a complete story simply for the fact that it's based off of real events. And that's hard to really kind of stretch too far. Which, to be fair, even then, it kind of leaves the ending kind of on a weird, incomplete note. Which is, again, meant to do that. But I, I'm sure if I looked into the story of that main character a bit more, I'd, I'd kind of figure out what all happened in the end. I'm guessing nothing great. <laughs> it's, you know post-war japan wasn't exactly a happy doodle place for a while um yeah the the dream logic thing the fairy tale logic thing and i more call it dream logic than even fairy tale because fairy tales at least then have some amount of rules i didn't know what the hell the rules were supposed to be in the boy and the heron i was i was trying so hard being like okay so this is happening and now there's these blocks and apparently that's holding things together or is it i don't know it's just Mark, Mark Hamill's telling me something about the, the fabric of the universe. And I really feel like I should understand it more than I am. But. Well, I think, I think the boy in the heron is the most egregious with that because yeah. anything else that has like whimsical elements to it, like spirit away or like a, uh, Howl's moving castle or something, they do still explain the story itself by the end of the movie. And you know, exactly what's going on. Uh, even if they yeah. don't explain the finer details of the world, they don't necessarily have to. The boy in the heron is, 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 might be the worst offender if not one of the worst offenders in regards to yeah it's just kind of a muddled mess and a lot of that has to do with them on them playing with time but not being upfront about that (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Like I just got to say, cause this isn't, I just have an ax to grind on this and I promise I won't waffle too hard, but I have a particular annoyance. It's not a soft, like what's the opposite of a soft spot, a hard spot, a, a little, a, a tick in my neck about time travel in movies and shows. I do not care for it because it becomes the most confusing mess ever. And I'm sure people will be like, Oh, I can understand time travel movies. Okay. Well I don't. So I don't personally like them. So yeah. Um, when this started introducing, cause I had a feeling once they, they sort of talk around there being a whole time thing, like being like, there being a time travel thing when he meets certain characters and they're like younger versions, but somehow we're meant to have pieced that together because he already has, but it does not make it very clear. And then by the end, it's just kind of a lot of things kind of just, I feel like the movie just assumes we figured out early on or just flat out fails to explain properly. Cause it gets to the end and we're like, Oh, okay. So this, where they just say things very matter of factly, like, oh, so this is this person from this era, except in a different time, and this whole area doesn't work with time correctly. And you're just kind of casually throwing that out here, like, that's been explained this whole time. Well, that's it the thing, it. is that I, I didn't piece it, regardless of them talking in circles exactly. or whatever, I didn't piece it together until the end. I knew that yeah. the characters were, like, different aged versions of the characters we knew, but I was under the impression it was, like, a parallel universe or something because they were playing with spatial dimensions and like this other reality where, you know, pigeons are like walking man beasts or whatever. So it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's at least, I don't know. Like at least with, at least with spirited away, the moment where she goes from the human world to the spirit world is very clearly, you know, it's very, there's, there's a clear point where it goes from reality to unreality in her world where we like, you know, we see all the spirits come out and our parents turn into pigs and it's like, okay, we're good. This one, it takes halfway through to get there. And then also when the, our main character gets to the spirit world or wherever the hell they're supposed to be, he kind of treats everything pretty casually. Like he doesn't have any major reactions to everything. So I'm like, okay, are we supposed to think this is weird or not? Because I feel like it's weird. But this kid is weirdly well adjusted to the whole situation. Is this actually happening? Is this in his head? Is this head trauma? Because <laughs> he does hit his head. Yeah. That's, a, that's a thing that happens at one point. So I was genuinely considering that idea. It's like, okay, this is all just his fevered delusions. See, um, I, I did which I wouldn't which which I truly was hoping Miyazaki wouldn't be so low to stoop to that point, but I, at a certain point I was like, I'm not positive anymore. I think a running theme last year, a running theme of our show last year was me saying that I was appreciating that people were treating things as fact even when they were like so far bizarre. So I I actually am on the other side of the fence of that. I like the fact that it was treated so nonchalantly because it added to the mysterious aspect of it. I, I'm getting tired of true. And and part of it is like the superhero fatigue. I'm getting tired of people gaining their powers and being like, whoa, this is crazy. Not even, I got a trailer for that fucking Madam Web movie and literally a line, uh -huh. a line in that trailer is just like, that is the least weird thing that's happened all day. I'm like, I, I just, I can't, I, I, <laughs> I wish people uh, would take things, you know, I, I'm sick of people, some reverence. Yeah. I'm, I'm sick of people overreacting and yeah. I don't know. Which like, <laughs> hey, that's I think the people sitting behind me in the theater when I saw this were people trying to thinking they were seeing a Marvel movie based on their reactions, not realizing realizing that Miyazaki might be the perfect antithesis to the Marvel movie. God damn it. I think I respect this movie more now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. I've come around to it. It's it's pretty brilliant. And also a nice literally even when I was there watching it, there were just moments of, wow, a movie taking time to have quiet moments without dialogue and just embracing the nature around us. God, I miss you, Miyazaki. <laughs> it's like, I, I, yeah, fuck. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah, I still appreciate this movie. Damn it. Yeah. I mean, that's where I am. <laughs> yeah, no, fair. It took me a minute, but I got there. Uh, But yeah, no, that's, that's, that's basically it for what we've been watching. Um, Beyond that, been playing the occasional game and everything. Haven't had a ton of time 
for it lately. Um, finally played through. Well, I, I had a, I had a few very addictive games. Um, firstly, I finally I've talked about it before, but the game Graveyard Keeper, mm. um, which I've talked about on here before, is one of those games that's just like it's pure busy work. It's just a constant series of fetch quests and like collection quests and everything throughout it. But for some reason, just gets me more than anything else. Sometimes I finally actually completed it. Um, like I, I, I got it on, on Xbox because it was on sale with all the DLCs and I just like hard, just dug my nose into it for like a solid two weeks. And I just, just destroyed it. Um, pretty okay in the end, but <laughs> it feels very unfinished. I will say it's very janky and there's a lot of story beats. They're just like, was this supposed to wrap up in any capacity or are we just leaving this for a sequel hook? Cause you did not give enough goodwill for there to be a sequel hook. Um, <laughs> But I still liked it. Um, I think it builds itself up. It, it it gives itself way more mechanics than it needs. But again, that's kind of the point. Um, so I thought that was fine. Uh, a smaller game that I've been playing because it came out for free on Game Pass was Turnip Boy Robs a Bank. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. Yes, I have. But this is the this is the yeah this is the direct sequel. Um, I have not played the first one. I've seen someone else play it, so I at least know the plot. But the second one is. It's basically, a, it's not quite a roguelite. It's basically, you have to go in, run into this big bank, and you have like two minutes at first to like run in and get as much money as you can and run back out. And you just keep robbing the bank over and over and over again with like wacky characters along the way. And this sort of dark undertones a la um, Adventure Time kind of sprinkled in of like, oh, this is all post-nuclear war and stuff. But it's all done so tongue-in-cheek that's like, it doesn't even like land that hard. It's like, oh, it's not actually that dark. It's just kind of silly. <laughs> um so yeah, that's been fun. I've, it's maybe a five hour. If you if you nail it, if you knuckle down on it, it's maybe five hours at max. Um, but then beyond that, I have once again fallen into my um, recurring addiction of Skyrim. Um, Hannah and I have decided that we are finally just knuckling down and doing what I call the ADHD run or ADD run, where it's you start off the game. The moment you see any new location, you go straight there, finish everything there, and then just keep doing that. <laughs> just yeah. keep, just screw any storyline screw anything out. we're going to collect every major collectible possible put it in a big box and be like there we've done everything and just go through the entire game point for point for point also known as how most people play that game i mean every time i do it i try to kind of just i kind of just bounce around doing particular quest lines and like maybe mucking around a little bit but i've never just gone hard fuck it and go point for point for point location to location without caring about like continuity of any kind yeah, i normally mentioned in the past that you used to adhere pretty because I think we've had this conversation on the show before. And you're yes, we about, have. Uh, yeah, just you see a cave and you just walk past it. And I'd be like, how? I don't know anyone that does that. Yeah, no, I just like, for whatever reason, I was just like, I want to go do the thing I'm currently fixated on. But now I'm decided, no, I will let go of my inhibitions and I will just do every damn thing. Yeah, the dark and side. My God, I, I, I keep forgetting how much actual shit is in this game because it's like, wow, there are entire quest lines I just haven't found. And it's been literally over a decade, almost a decade and a half <laughs> since this game was released. And yeah. I played it. I don't know how many times now. Yep. So it's a, it's still fun. It still holds up. You know, I'm just doing my classic archer route so I can be as, you know, sneaky and as much of a shitter as possible. Just walk in, not get seen and shoot everybody and then just go collect the loot and leave. Um, which, you know, is honestly pretty damn fun. <laughs> uh, but, uh, other than that, I think that's about everything I've got going on. That's, that's somehow both surprisingly little and a surprising amount of things I've been doing. We we had a lot of hair oh, talk. Uh, so also also one very brief one. Um, I also found on Steam is called Slay the Princess. Oh, um, yes. it's more of a. I've played through it once. I need to play through it some more because it's meant to be like multiple run throughs. Um, 
it's a very vi- kind of visual novel style horror stroke thriller kind of story. Um, I really like it. It's hard to describe beyond that. I mainly like it just because the main narrator is John is John Sims, who's the main guy behind the Magnus Archives, the podcast that I fell in love with, of which there's actually a sequel series now, which I need to catch up on. Yep, there's um, only two episodes out right now, so you're you're yep, not far yep. behind. Cool. Um, yeah, I figured I learned that he was the main narrator and voice in that, and I was like, oh, rad, I'm I'm absolutely playing this. Uh, I like it. It's interesting. I think there's some philosophical elements that kind of fly over my head sometimes, but you know what? I, I, I can, I can dig it. I like it. Um, Good. but yes, no, now, now that's everything. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. And uh, of you, what, what about you then? I have watched way too many things to go over. Believe you me, uh, an ungodly number of things in the past month. Um, just whenever I have free time. Uh, as, as far as new releases for this year, I went to the theaters and I caught Night Swim, uh, which is one of the, oh the, yeah, the most recent of the Blumhouse things. Uh, it's, it's fine. It has a lot, it falls into a lot of bad horror tropes, but it was at least a decently fun, but I mean, it's, it's a January dumping ground movie. So it's, it's anyone expecting much more than that is, uh, I don't know, kind of foolish. I mean- yeah, like looking at the trailers and everything, I was like, how much mileage can they get out of the fact that this is just like a haunted pool? <laughs> well, it's a short film, and it's funny because uh, the scenes taken from the short film are the most powerful scenes in the movie, and everything else is just kind of bland. <laughs> There's a ton of things of where it's like, oh, I wish they did more with that aspect instead of the haunted pool aspect. You know, I, I wish they did more with the uh, space outside of space time, like oh, this pool is deeper than it looks and, like, a potential predator in the pool. I wish they did more with ideas like that, but it just turns into this pool is haunted. And I'm like, okay, I, yeah. all right, no, I'm tapping out. So That's kind of lame, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was fun for some of the, the scenes. I think there's some decent ideas in there. It's just not, it's it's not fully cohesive is the problem. Um, a couple other things here and there. Mafioso is an Italian mob movie from the 50s. Very funny. It's a dark comedy. Uh, I had fun with that. And uh, I finally watched uh, Cronenberg's Naked Lunch, uh, which has some great uh, insect puppet stuff in it. Uh, I would be lying if I, I said I understood any of the movie when I was done watching it, but I really liked it. Uh, <laughs> Naked Lunch cool. is a good one. I'm, I'm slowly I'll getting caught up on all David Cronenberg stuff that I've missed. I will personally, I'll personally avoid it because bugs make me go, eh. Yeah, you don't want to see a typewriter beetle eating another typewriter beetle. Then don't watch Naked Lunch. Um, no, no, I'm I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Aside from that, I'm going to do something here. Uh, A lot of what I watched was me catching up on theatrical releases that I missed from last year and some streaming releases I uh, missed from last year. There are 31 of these that I engaged with. I am going to list them all from my least favorite to my most favorite. If anything stands out, call it out and I can talk about it briefly. Otherwise, we will end it there. (laughs) <laughs> okay. okay let's do go this. for it starting at the bottom winnie the pooh blood and honey expendables four the family plan <laughs> hypnotic trolls band together ant-man and the wasp quantumania flame <laughs> and hot strays evil dead rise about my father the boogeyman paw patrol the mighty movie the nun 2 cocaine bear wonka book club the next chapter saw x Insidious the Red Door, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, Leo, 80 for Brady, The Last Repair Shop, Migration, Nimona, The After, Poor Things, 
Infinity Pool, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, Anatomy of a Fall, and the ABCs of Book Banning. I gotta be real, like, maybe half of those I recognized. <laughs> I I do not keep up with theatrical releases, my god. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, that's fair. everything. That's, uh, I mean, that's not everything I watched, but that's the 31 things from last year that I was catching up on. Uh, a number of those, uh, are on the short list or were on the short list for the Oscars and, uh, quite a number of them made it to the, uh, nominee list that was released yesterday morning. So yeah. I'm close yeah, no, to no, fair fair <laughs> to have no, watched enough. all those. Uh, I will say just so I can get it out of the way and not talk about it for too long because i still don't respect the oscars um greta gerwig and margot robbie absolutely fucking snubbed um yeah that's it <laughs> i mean that was interesting um yeah i guess particularly the margot robbie thing i don't understand that yeah but... ah well yeah what can you do again i don't respect the oscars so yep all right <laughs> that's well, a that's... <laughs> hell of a list that's a hell of a list people that's a we will not be expanding on that any further because, good lord, I don't even know how to. Well, uh, there is one movie from last year that I did not touch on in that list uh, very deliberately um, because we are going to be talking about it today on the show. Uh, hey, the- talking about chickens with wide varieties of English and Scottish accents. I'm pretty sure the secondary female lead is is Welsh, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Maybe. <laughs> this is Chicken Run. Alright, we will start off with the plot to 2000's Chicken Run, directed by Nick Park and Peter Lord. In the countryside of Yorkshire, a flock of chickens live on an egg farm structured like a prisoner of war camp. The farm is run by the cruel Mrs. Tweedy, played by Miranda Richardson, and her submissive husband, Mr. Tweedy, Tony Hagarth, who kill and eat any chicken that is no longer able to lay eggs. Led by the rebellious ginger, Julius Sawala, <laughs> the chickens constantly devise new ways to try to escape, but are always caught. Mr. Tweedy suspects the chickens are organized and plotting resistance, but his wife dismisses his theories while being frustrated with making minuscule profits. One night, Ginger witnesses an American rooster named Rocky Rhodes, played by Mel Gibson, glide over the coop's fences and crash land. The chickens put his sprained wing in a cast and hide him from the Tweedies, who have been promised a handsome reward by Rocky's owner for his return. Inspired by Rocky's apparent flying abilities, Ginger begs him to help teach her and the other chickens to fly so they can escape. Rocky gives them training lessons. One evening, a load of equipment is delivered to the farm containing the parts for a chicken pie machine that Miss Tweedy, Mrs. Tweedy has ordered as part of a plan to convert the farm into a profitable pie-making pa- factory. 
When the Tweedies increase the chickens' food rations and ignore the decline in egg production, Ginger deduces that the couple's new plan is to fatten the chickens for slaughter. After Ginger and Rocky get into an argument, Rocky holds a morale-boosting dance party during which it is revealed that his wing is healed. Ginger insists that he demonstrates flying the next day, but Mr. Tweedy finishes assembling the machine and puts Ginger in it for a test run. Rocky saves her and sabotages the machine, buying them time to warn the chickens and plan an escape from the farm. The next day, Ginger finds Rocky is left, leaving behind part of a poster that shows that he is in fact part of a chicken cannonball act with no ability to fly on his own. Amid being devastated, Ginger is inspired by elderly rooster Fowler's stories of his time in the Royal Air Force to build an aircraft to flee the farm. Fowler here played by Benjamin Whitrow. The chickens assemble parts for the plane as Mr. Tweedy fixes the pie-making machine. Meanwhile, Rocky comes across a billboard advertising Mrs. Tweedy's chicken pies and returns to the farm out of guilt. Mrs. Tweedy orders Mr. Tweedy to gather all the chickens for the machine, but the chickens subdue him and finish the plane, with Ginger persuading Fowler to pilot. As the plane approaches the takeoff ramp, Mr. Tweedy knocks over the ramp before reaching unconsciousness. Ginger races to reset the ramp, but a now-alerted Mrs. Tweedy attacks her. Before Mrs. Tweedy can hurt Ginger, Rocky returns and subdues her before holding up the ramp with Ginger, allowing the plane to take flight. Rocky and Ginger grab onto the runway lights, which have been snagged by the departing plane, and take off with it. An axe-wielding Mrs. Tweedy follows them by climbing up the lights, but Ginger twicks Mrs tricks Mrs. Tweedy into cutting the line, sending her falling into the pie machine, causing it to explode in a mushroom cloud of gravy. The chickens celebrate their victory after defeating the Tweedies, while Ginger and Rocky kiss each other, and they fly to an island bird sanctuary where they make their home. Sometime later, the chickens have settled into their new home, and Rocky and Ginger have started a romantic relationship. Also in the film, but not really touched upon, are Lynn Ferguson as Mac, Jane Horrocks as Babs, Imelda Staunton as Bunty, Timothy Spall as Nick the Rat, and Phil Daniels as Fetcher the Rat. Now we'll move on to uh, the plot of 2023's Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, directed by Sam Fell. Since the chickens escaped Mr. and Mrs. Tweedy's farm, they have settled into an idyllic sanctuary on an island in a lake, where they can live happily, safe from humans. Ginger, here played by Tandy Way Newton, and Rocky, here played by Zachary Levi, start a family with a hatchling named Molly, Bella Ramsey. The rats, Nick and Fetcher, played here by Romesh Ranganathan, Ranganathan? Oh no. And Daniel Mays, respectively, visit periodically with supplies. Molly grows into an adventurous 11-year-old whom Ginger and Rocky try to protect from the outside world. The appearance of trucks and construction on the mainland concern Ginger that another chicken farm is being built, and with her more cautious perspective as a parent, she leads her community into better hiding themselves. Molly's curiosity draws her to sneak away from the mainland, where she is saved from being run over by a teenage chicken named Frizzle, played by Josie Sedwick-Davies. The two friends stow away on a truck full of chickens being taken to Funland Farms, which looks appealing to them. Ginger and Rocky form a search party with chickens Babs, Bunty, Mac, and Fowler. Fowler. All of here are voiced by their original voice actors, except for Fowler, who is here played by David Bradley. They all give chase and find that the farm is a highly advanced poultry processing plant bristling with security systems. Inside, Molly and Frizzle find an expansive amusement area where the other chickens, all wearing numbered electrical collars, go on rides, play games, etc. Rocky impulsively catapults into the compound, inadvertently activating various security systems, giving Ginger and the others the info they need to infiltrate. They are joined by Nick and Fetcher, who are separated from the others, but meet up with Rocky. Molly and Frizzle discover that the collars turn the other chickens into carefree idiots when they're activated. Frizzle is then caught by the facility scientist Dr. Fry, played by Nick Muhammad, and given a collar. Molly leaves, promising to come back later. Ginger reunites with Molly and learns in horror that her nemesis Mrs. Tweedy is running the operation alongside Dr. Fry, her new husband. Tweedy here is once again played by Miranda Richardson. The collars serve to suppress the chicken's fear to make tastier chicken nuggets for Reginald Smith, a fast food chain businessman looking for new food items. Mrs. Tweedy captures Ginger and puts a collar on her, which she resists unsuccessfully, but Rocky intervenes and Molly frees her. The hens, roosters, and rats are reunited in a corn silo, which they escape by turning into popcorn. Molly mourns the fate of Frizzle, prompting Ginger and the others to turn back and help the other chickens as well. 
Mrs. Tweedy orders Dr. Fry to start production of chicken nuggets, beginning a struggle for the remote control that brainwashes the chickens between Mrs. Tweedy and the team of Rocky, Ginger, and Molly, while the rest of the rescue squad try to hold back the chickens marching mindlessly into the processor. The chicken trio win the fight, sending Mrs. Tweedy into the machine to be breaded like a chicken nugget, while the whole population of chickens and the rats escape in a truck. Mrs. Tweedy tries to stop them, but Fowler knocks her into the compound's moat, where she's stopped by the facility's security as the site explodes from the chicken sabotage. The chickens return to the island, and their lives return to normal, now with Molly and Frizzle doing aerial reconnaissance for chicken farms on the mainland, and the chicken crew liberating those that they find. And those are two plots down. Rockingly similar plots, when you think about it. Yes, they're just kind of, they're kind of inverse of each other, uh, thematically. Yeah, it's almost, but it's almost like it's a remake. Hmm. Hmm. Remake sequel. I don't know about that. I don't oh, well. know how I feel about that. Let's find out hmm. how we feel about that after a full circle. Yeah, the point of the show. Yay. Very few here this time around. Three for the original and two for the sequel. Uh, firstly, Imelda Stanton. Imelda... St oh, wait. <laughs> we have three for the original and five for the sequel, but some of them are repeated. There, that's clarity. Oh. So Imelda Stanton was Bunty in both of the Chicken Run movies that we discussed today. Uh, she was also the voice of the Tall Flowers in Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland from 2010. Oh, Huh. That's a... Yeah, I some, how do I somehow remember that so well? <laughs> I don't know, but speaking of, Timothy Spall, who was the voice of Nick the Rat in the original Chicken Run, also voiced the Bloodhound in Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Overlap for English voice actors, I see. Mm -hmm, and just clear. actors in general, I suppose. They usually tend to do both. Yeah. Uh, continuing a theme, Miranda Richardson, who was the voice of Mrs. Tweedy in both Chicken Run movies, uh, was also Madame Yuri in 2004's The Phantom of the Opera. Oh. Oh. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, David Bradley, who voiced Fowler in the Chicken Run sequel, so he's the second voice of Fowler, uh, he was the Tower Keeper in 2011's Captain America from the MCU. Take your word for it. <laughs> and finally, uh, perhaps one of the bigger ones, uh, Thandiway Newton was Ginger, uh, the second voice of Ginger in the sequel Chicken Run. Uh, she was also Regina Lambert in 2002's The Truth About Charlie. What a good movie. We love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, sing your Weird. sweet words to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think the first thought I had whenever going into this was, all I could really remember about hearing anything about this movie was there was a bit of a, I won't say uproar, but a bit of an like annoyed, an annoyed hey uh, from the general public that they were not reprising the original voice actress for Ginger and then also for Rocky. And I was like, oh, that kind of sucks for you know uh, Ginger's character. Wait, who voiced Rocky in the first one? And I was like, oh, it's Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah. I okay, that, that one sense. I. <laughs> yeah, that one I get. That one I. That one I understand. Um. So that, that was just a very funny moment where I was like, man, I, I got to look up the cast differences. So I was like, oh, yeah, this this Zachary, like, um, and I say that as if um, uh, friggin, what's his name? Um, Zachary Levi is any less controversial yeah, in some ways. He's, I saw a post about that. It's very funny what happened there. Yeah. Um, it, like, I, I'm, it's not quite comparable necessarily to Mr. Gibson, but it's close. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I just saw the difference. I was like, oh, very interesting. And then I did also note, though, that it was actually kind of interesting. A lot more um, actors of color in the remake, which was just interesting. Just, you know, that just I looked through that. I was like, oh, wow. The, I actually know a lot of these folks. They're really funny. 
Um, but you know, that was just kind of a minor thing. And just like, I'm just looking through that originally being like, man, how the times do change <laughs> yeah, and how they somehow don't change at all. Um, it was cool seeing though, that, uh, Bella Ramsey was Molly. She's, uh, plays Ellie in the last of Us series, the TV series, yes. I should say. Um, they are a very good actor. Um, but yeah, beyond that, it's just, it's just, it's funny kind of seeing, and I think that really kind of is going to be the crux of this whole, I'm not going to say debate because we don't tend to debate this extended waffle that is our show, um, <laughs> at least in this particular case. It's very much the biggest vibe between the two of these has very much been how the times do change because, man, two very different like the plots are ultimately near like symmetrical to each other. Um, however, there's a very big difference in the general tone and feeling it almost feels like between the two of these, which, you know, isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's a sequel. It's meant to expand. Um, but wow, I could not get over the fact of just like, wow, no, this really is just them dealing with a more modernized world now, huh? Because we really did just watch the original really was just it, it, the great escape, but with chickens like that's like, let's let's not mince words here. It's very much a very British tale of POWs trying to escape from enemy capture. And then the new ones, practically Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> which is yeah, kind of yeah. wild when you think about it. Um, not necessarily a bad thing on its own, but it was very strange kind of seeing the differences they decided to make between the two as a result. Not least of which for the fact of, did the chickens like go and get PhDs while they were on this island? Because my God, they went from the entire third act of the original was trying to put together the crate um, and like make it working and flying and building it in secret. And then within the first two acts of the sequel, they're like, they have like weather balloon. They have like a balloon that's disguised like a cloud. And like, they're doing all these like heist stunts and shit that they never pulled off. Like they were able to break into a high security facility with like explosives and like electrical fences and all this wild shit involved in them. And they do it with almost no effort. And also the fact that they seem to know the layout of the facility perfectly with like one look over, like there's a part where they go, Oh, and here's the door with the, eye, the retinal eye scanner that we'll need to spoof to get in. I'm like, when the fuck did you see that? <laughs> It's like, that is in a completely different part of the building. It's, it's, it's just, it, it felt very rushed. I won't lie like, compared to like the buildup from the original of like having to be scrappy and figure all this stuff out. And meanwhile, it just seems like they just kind of are now criminal masterminds. I think that's the main thing is, is like, I'm trying to figure out where, I guess not so much how they made these things, like the technological advances on their island or what they used to infiltrate or whatever, because I, I mean, we're not going to mince words. Mac is doing the heavy lifting for all of these oh, yeah. chickens because i mean that's My even God. clear with her running the numbers on chicken avionics in the first movie it's like i don't know where she got her degree but she's had it since the beginning i just don't know where yeah. they get all the raw materials for these things right because like they have a sort of thing going on with like the rats are running a smuggling operation but dear god like this is this is the equivalent of a smuggler like stealing entire airplanes for people it's like there is there's smuggling in materials and then there's we have a subscription to lockheed martin like, yeah, they're bringing them like going busted on? ass spatulas and like ripped beanies, and they're turning they're like MacGyvering them into pipe bombs. I, I yeah. don't, <laughs> I I don't. And at a certain point, the movie's probably begging for you to just suspend your disbelief for something like that. It's just it's it's harder to do just... when watching these back to back because right. the first one is so much more real. I mean, I'm saying that about you know a movie about talking chickens, but it's it's it comes from a much more earnest place. Whereas the second yeah. one, it's like they want to make a sequel to a movie where all of the characters got their happy ending. So it's like, okay, what now? What do we do next? They've they've completed their arcs. 
<laughs> where, they, where are we going? They, they just shy of literally jump a shark when, when it comes to this new one, because my goodness gracious, like, I kind of get it with the whole thing with the, you know, the original one being set in this, you know, kind of your, like small Yorkshire farm. It has a very kind of real setting feeling to it. It's all, it's very dirty and grungy. And yeah, it feels like a POW camp a la World War II. Um, but then it just escalates into like a Bond villain style facility for the second one, which I get ultimately it's about the fact that Miss Tweedy is super paranoid and vengeful against these chickens and is basically just taking advantage of her now, her, her very wealthy husband in order to have all these things assembled. But my goodness gracious, it it just went a few too many steps for me where it went from suspension of disbelief to you guys are just doing this to have a laugh at this point. Like you're just being like, we wanted to build a big, cool facility. You know what? Fine. We can, you can do that. It just, it seems weird to do it with chicken run. <laughs> Why are we doing this with chicken run? And another thing yeah. is, is that it's, it's not explicitly stated, but how long does this, how, how long do these movies take between one another? I because don't know. Okay, because there's Mrs. a very Tweedy brief does moment. does not look that old. And chickens no. don't live that long. <laughs> so. No. Like, okay, there's a point in. The, I want to see if I didn't misread it or something. Because. Okay, yes. In the synopsis we have on Wikipedia, it mentions that Molly gets to the point of being 11 years old for the time of the movie, like, like the majority of the runtime. One, <laughs> I don't think that's ever stated explicitly. <laughs> I think it's. I, like, I don't think there's any point. Do they ever actually mention her age? And two, get the hell out of here. This is an 11 year old chicken. Like maybe relative to humans, it's meant she's meant to be 11 years old, like at least on a maturity level. But my goodness gracious, like, yeah, no, the, the timing difference between this, I think, again, it's one of the things that you're meant to just not necessarily think about it so much. But you don't know, because it for the, all the life of me, it looks like they went from like maybe the late 40s into like the mid to late 50s based on technologies on display. Um, at least relative to, you know, the English countryside. Because, um, yeah, like the 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 visual and aesthetic going on, again, in the original, it very much was, yeah, this is you know kind of late 1940s and meant to be grungy and like this, you know, Yorkshire country style home and everything. Um, and then the new, next one, it's very much, it feels, it, it's just shy of Austin Powers at some, in some points. Um, so I really don't know what timing they're supposed to go with. My guess is maybe a year. Like maybe a year, maybe two. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> like, what, that's what I'm trying to because, like you said, like we've been saying, the movie, the movie probably wants us to overlook the fact, but it's hard to do not just because I watch these back to back, but again, the lifespans of the chicken, but then everything that happens with Mrs. Tweedy because she does not look that, that old, you know, compared to no. her first outing, but also she's in an entirely new environment. You know, she was impoverished with uh, the Mrs. Tweedy. They got a divorce sometime after she blew up, I assume. And then, you know, now she's married to this other guy who was probably really smart, but I'm assuming he did not build a chicken facility until he met her. And then probably not. They went, they have this whole thing developed and they are already functional. Like, I, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. And also, what you know, the Great Escape very 40s for the first one, her get up and then some of the designs, it feels very mid to late 60s, like Mod Squad in the sequel, which would imply two decades. Uh, in which yeah. all of those chickens would be dead. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I don't really get it. It's yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in this one, which it feels like not necessarily the point of the situation. I guess it's just they're just trying to do things with a bit more budget, as 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 it were. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a bit hard to ignore at a certain point. Um, 
I will say though, with the change of um, like clear eras or what have you, what how however much time is spanned between them, I can't fault the visuals on the new one because I was going into this thing and like, okay, this isn't going to hold up or like this is going to be kind of a cheap rendition of the original. I gotta say, I loved the visual. I love the amount of color that was in the new one. Like the original, obviously, the whole point was it was meant to be very drab and dour based on their situation. But the new one, just like out the gate, like on they're on their island and everything. And there's just all these vibrant greens and everything. And then even when they get to the facility where they're in this, you know, like pastel kind of wonderland for all the like, you know, you know, like you know, like brainwashed chickens is the best way to put it. Um, and just all the lights and color and everything on display was really impressive. And I was honestly not expecting that. It loses a bit of character as a result, but not by much, in my, at least to me. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. I feel exactly the same way. And if we're talking about visuals, if we can, I, I know it's, it's, it's kind of beating a dead horse to say this at a certain point, but just the masterwork on display with the actual stop motion animation, there's, yeah. it's, I really like Leica and I like what they do with stop motion, but their stuff is always too clean and too sculpted mm-hmm. to a point. I prefer the way that Ardman does it because they leave all the imperfections in. And I really thought that they were going to sculpt those things out for the sequel. But if you're watching this on Netflix and you pause it at any given frame, you can see the fingerprint marks on the clay. And I just, I love oh, yeah. that so much. I, I, I kept pausing it and just staring at the marks on Rocky's face. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's I, I, I don't know. I, I love the fact that Ardman doesn't worry about something like that. Yeah. I think it's and I think that was part of why the visuals seemed to hold up is that the integrity of their style just hadn't really changed. It's just it, these are the these are the folks behind Wallace and Gromit, for God's sake. They, they know what the hell they're doing at this point. Um, practically pioneers as far as, you know, stop motion goes. Well, maybe not pioneers, but they've but they've certainly they've certainly kind of set the bar. I mean, they I I mean, yeah, that first Wallace and Gromit was it a, a trip to the moon or whatever. Moon made a cheese. Bad day on the so, moon. I, it, it won I the know. Oscar. That year for best yeah. animated short, it beat Courage the Cowardly Dog, <laughs> Chicken from Outer Space. That short, yeah, it was great, and they haven't stopped. Uh, yeah, no, clearly, which you know, I'm glad to see that. Um, I'm just, it's just kind of hard comparing these two at a certain point. Um, well, simply for the fact that, like, well, I'll let you go ahead. Well, something I did want to bring up was uh, questioning um, how, what you felt about the. The, the new characters, which is funny to say because there are, I think, four new characters total. Um, yeah, wasn't <laughs> expecting that few. But then yeah. again, I'm not complaining. I've seen after Toy Story 4, I am not complaining. Oh, yeah. Toy Story 4 is a fucking menace. And and they're all like yeah. famous whatevers, you know. Yeah. But comedians. And... Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the character, the actress who plays uh, Frizzy has all of like two credits on her IMDb from what I was able to find. Um, and one of them is also just called a, it's called chicken shop date. I'm like, how are two of your things both involving chickens? <laughs> she's she's going to typecast herself accidentally. Like she needs to be careful. Um, yeah. Literally even on Wikipedia, it does not, her name does not have a link to another page. That's how few things she's in. She's one of the main characters and she's done like, this is like the only other thing she's done. <laughs> well, it's wild. I, I get so the main the main reason for pulling that and and wanting to ask you about it is because there are four new characters that are introduced and they kind of run the gamut for me in terms of 
whether they actually add anything to this experience. And I wanted to get your thoughts on them. So it's Molly, Frizzle, Dr. Fry, and then I guess Reginald Smith, who's barely a character, but I I had to count. I had to count him. Um, Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll say I, I liked Molly than I anticipated. I liked her. Obviously she's the very stereotypical, you know, kind of kid character in these of like, Oh, I'm, I'm like, my parents don't let me have my freedom. And they, she even basically says that line outright. Um, but as far as it goes, it does still show her to be, you know, intelligent and capable and really only gets into these situation gets into her situation out of just like basic naivete, which like as far as a lot of these go, I've seen worse, you know, kickoffs to plots, you know, and yeah. it was very much one of those things of, yeah, if they didn't get out there and take down this facility, they probably would have been doomed later on. So it's clear that her inciting action wasn't like the result of like an idiot plot. You know, it wasn't just because everyone who's in this is an idiot. It's, you know, no, it's, it seemed like a genuine reaction from a, you know, young character in this situation. Um, so I'll say for the most part, I thought she was fine. I also, and I thought she mixed both um, Ginger's character and Rocky's character nicely, obviously mostly Ginger's, but still a bit of the Rocky going on. Um, as far as um, Frizzle, fine. Just, uh, like you know kind of like the secondary female lead or i guess maybe tertiary i don't know what you'd call it um is more just kind of meant to be a macguffin in the end which was a little weird i figured that she'd have a bit more presence in the story rather than she gets kind of brainwashed and then it's just kind of stuck there until the end thank um, you that See, was it's like, exactly I, yeah. what you said at the beginning this is the show where we never debate and we just agree on every because yeah that, <laughs> that's like my main thing is that frizzle is such a nothing character that barely needs to exist and i really feel like they're they did that a disservice, but go on, continue. Um, yeah, it, it, like it, it pretty much, yeah. Like Frizzle, wish there more had been done with that. I figured there was going to be kind of more of a thing of like not necessarily Ginger and Rocky's relationship in the first one. Um, but I figured it would be at least something more than oh, she's just basically the she's the stand-in for the moral dilemma, basically of oh, we can't leave these people behind despite us putting ourselves in danger. It's like all right, that's a bit kind of a waste for a whole character here, but whatever. Um, Dr. Fry thought he was silly, thought he was kind of fun. Um, yeah. Overall, a bit nothing, but not as much as Frizzle. It, I, I wasn't necessarily super jived with the fact that it was just bringing Mrs. Tweety back. Um, like I kind of figured that it had to be the case. Like, you know, you can't have someone as evil as Miss Tweety in the original and not bring her back for later. Um, just because of just the the true dementedness of this character, what I kind of just adore. I, I love her as a character. Um, I think Miranda Richardson's a great performer too. And, oh, and, fantastic! And to that point, if Chicken Run Two had come out in two thousand and five, I don't think it would have been Mrs. Tweety. But I think some of this Why is not? just it's it's playing on nostalgia to a certain point. So I, I'm sure yeah. that was the driving factor. Um, but yeah, as far as Mr. as Doctor Fry goes, yeah, I thought he was fine. I think I think they could have expanded on him a bit more. It definitely seemed like he wasn't. Like, they kind of make him seem more like, you know, like the bumbling husband type character. But he definitely wasn't, like, a good guy. He definitely was evil, willing to do these things to chickens and for, you know, profit and whatnot. Um, so I just don't think that was capitalized on a whole lot. Um, and then the original Smith thought he had a nice voice. You know, no, he kind of, he was kind of, again, <laughs> he was, he was basically just meant to represent the metaphorical storm approaching for the characters. Like, you know, it's just like, this is, he, he is the, the crux of the third act, effectively. Um, the circling of the wolves, if you will. Um. So I think he did everything he needed to. I don't, again, feels like having a whole other character with very little added on really did anything. Like, like as it is, like, what we saw in the original, her setting up the, you know, the pot pie processing facility, we don't see any of her distributors or anything that she's making deals with. No, she just sets it up and we see a billboard and that's all we need. 
So I don't really see why they felt the need to expand on that with a character who basically did nothing <laughs> in the re in the in the sequel. Um, but you know, I guess it it, it reeks of something that seemed like it needed to have more going on with that. Like we were supposed to see more of these Sir Eats a Lot restaurants or something. Um, I did, however, like kind of the concept they bring up the idea of that this is prior to the age of you know fast food and everything, and they're basically being progenitors of it with creating you know chicken nugget buckets. I was like, okay, that's that's actually kind of funny. Um, because it's actually kind of this is in that era where fast food wasn't really a concept yet. Um, and it, or rather it was about to be. Um, which I, I thought didn't, I didn't really clock until that came up. The like yeah. the title the title's obvious, Dawn Dawn of the Nugget, but also like because they have kids, and I was like, oh, maybe the kids are like you know Nugget is just like a a cheeky like thing to call the kids or whatever but the yeah. time frame thing didn't sit in with me until I, I was like oh this this movie is positing that mrs tweedy invented the concept of a chicken nugget it's like right. that's interesting so you know that's funny that i like that um so yeah i think yeah but as far as original smith as a character goes um yeah again kind of a situation of it's kind of like the opposite like the other characters they didn't capitalize on a whole lot versus this guy it almost like they took too much time to flesh out this character simply for the fact that he was just meant to represent the coming of the third act. I was yeah. like, I mean, all right, like that's fine, I guess. It's like, Get <laughs> um, out of here. Yeah. So, you know, I think in the end, pretty decent characters they've added on. Uh, obviously as a result, we've kind of lost a bit of time for the, like with the original characters since, you know, all of them and their various regional British accents were all fantastic to watch the first time around. And we don't get to see a whole lot of them this time. Um, Lord knows the Fowler character, it seems like they very deliberately sidelined, like almost a bit too much to a point where it's like, it feels like they're just kind of sidelining this old time. Like he did quite a bit in the original one. He gave them the idea, the idea to fly out of there and he was their pilot and everything. Like there was a lot going on for him. He was a very major character. And now they've kind of deliberately meant to seem like he's gone out to pasture in this new one. It's like, why did he do that? He, he didn't deserve that. He's, he's a great guy. I, I wonder if they did that because they had to recast since Benjamin Whitrow died before this movie maybe, came out yeah. and maybe they were just like you know the less he speaks the better <laughs> i i don't know he, he definitely still speaks a lot that's the thing they kind of make him even more rambly than the first one um he, he does i i, I should have paid attention i didn't really clock the voice different i mean i knew they were there but i didn't really pay attention yeah. to any of them except for gingers i think was the most obvious to me yeah um yeah, I think that's yeah the same with me. Like the 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 Rocky one definitely, I was able to notice. I was like, wait, hang on, who's the voice actor? The original? Oh, <laughs> it's like I really only noticed because I, I was now listening for it. Um, but yeah, beyond that, everyone was pretty much dead on. And like, but that is kind of weird though. They brought back all of the original voice actor actors and actresses for a lot of the side characters, but we don't see them as much. And so it's like, what was the point? <laughs> like, yeah, you Oh, yeah, no, I don't. That's unfortunate. I mean, it, it was nice to see all these people again. And as far as the new characters are concerned, I, I, I pretty well agree with you. I, I already stated my my point about Frizzle, where I, I think they could have done a lot more with that character. The way the character ends up, I almost rather they have just deleted it and it's deleted her entirely. And it's just a story about Molly doing uh doing Ginger-esque things so that Ginger can remember how it used, you know, how she used to be. And, you know, she changed because she's a mother, blah, blah, blah. However you want to yeah. frame it. Um, I, Which, I I gotta say they definitely even when she was kind of on the top of her game they lowered her tenacity from the original like the original the first sequence we see of the movie is her constantly getting thrown in the hole essentially like she was a she was a chicken fried badass in the first one the second one it's just like even when she is doing her coolest stuff 
she's not really doing a whole lot. Like even in the final confrontation, she's not, you know, hanging for her life off the end of a, off the end of a plane. She's just kind of at her, at Tweety's mercy and just lets, you know, the, the whole the swinging ax thing come back at her, which I gotta say, I fully thought they were just going to ice her when they, she gets hit by the ax in the head, like by the handle. And then she falls in the chicken, like chicken nugget machine. I was fully thinking like, Oh, she's about to get minced. And then yeah. she like turns out just as a full, like just, she's just cut her, covered in like the chicken breading at the end. I'm like, Oh, well, that's a bit disappointing. And she didn't even get fried because it all comes off right. when she falls in the moat. It's just like a goop. So I will okay. say, though, I will say, though, they don't show her again after she falls in the moat and she gets hit by, like, the explosive ducks and everything. So she very well could just straight be dead. Like, they yeah. at least show her at the end of the other one where she gets blown up. Like, she she clearly survives. We don't see her again after the end of after the last shot of her getting blown up. It's like, oh, wow, she might just be straight dead. Well, that's the thing, too. I was wondering if... I was like, okay, you know what? Point of clarity, maybe you can clarify this, but mm. did, I know that those were like explosive ducks in the moat, but I got the impression that the entire factory blew up because Dr. Dead. Fry comes out and he meant, okay, that's what I thought happened. So he's probably dead too. Probably, almost certainly. Yeah, no, they, <laughs> these, these chickens, these chick like all the workers that were in there. Um, yeah, no, these chickens have a genuine body count now. Like, the first time around, <laughs> yeah. they were able to skirt by and be like, okay, she totally survives. Kind of, you know, like, at the end of Hot Fuzz, where people somehow survive, like, the big, like, land, like, the sea mine blowing up and everything, where we get to see people walk away. We don't see that in this. We see the facility blow up, and we have to assume that several dozen people at a minimum are dead. And these chickens did that. I'm like, okay, cool, cool, and, cool. And they're going to do it was... ten more times. Yeah, exactly, because they start going on, like, raids for that sort of stuff. Which I was actually going into this one, I fully was telling myself early on, it's like, okay, there's no, they're going to do, like, the Incredibles 2 thing here, where um, in the original, there's actually quite a few on-screen, at least apparent deaths, and pretty violent ones, if I might add. Um, and then in the sequel, it's all pretty dumbed down. It's, like, not really any major threats going on. It's a very kind of more cerebral threat related to any kind of immediate violence. Um, I fully thought they were going to do that with this, where, you know, in the first movie, we see obviously we don't obviously see directly but we you know see when a chicken gets you know taken off to get her head chopped off and it's like oh it's a very dark and brooding scene i was like okay there's no way they're gonna be dark and everything in the new one and then they proceed one to have one of the brainwashed chickens clearly walk off and into her grinding death i'm like okay so we're still doing that and then then at the end with all these deaths i'm like okay i'm eating my words damn chicken run good on you for good on you for keeping some teeth <laughs> and, and the thing is is that not only does that chicken get minced but you immediately see the bucket that it produces, and then Reginald Smith grabs a nugget and eats it, and they're like, okay, so you're watching a character be eaten as well. It's not one that you were, like, familiar with. It's not a character you loved, but... No. In fact, all of the chickens... In fact, all of the chickens in that room, other than, obviously, Molly and Frizzy, Frizzy um, all of them are, like, the exact same. Like, there's two different color of models of chickens in there. Otherwise, they're all identical. <laughs> I was yes. like, I kind of figured... I figured they varied up a little, but damn, no, they did not even attempt to like all fully identical um, I, I i guess that can kind of be said for the first one except for like you know mac and Bunty yeah. and babs but well i i was gonna say there's a bit more variety there but it's honestly hard to tell because the color palette right exactly whereas the new one it's so clear and everything you can very clearly see it's like these are all just clones these are fully yeah. just clones um <laughs> which i guess there might be argued that's like the point like they bring in these chickens because they're all of like a particular like a particular breed, a particular, you know, kind of cost quota ratio or what, however, you know, factory farms work. Um, but still, it's just it's seeing that I was like, I figured they like at least tried to introduce some distinct characters in this space. But no, it's just it's just Molly and Frizzy and then Frizzy's immediately brainwashed. So it's like, all right, whatever. Um, 
so yeah, it's just it's such a strange mixed bag between these because I like both of these movies. I didn't expect to like the second one as much as I have, but my goodness, it it's still it's the it's this like you said, it's the same folks, the same finger literal fingerprints on the clay and everything. And damn if they aren't doing a good job still. The plot's a bit all over the place, and they don't necessarily know what to do with characters. But honestly, even thinking about the original, that kind of happens a bit too. Like you said, basically everything gets kind of put on Mac's shoulders. That beautiful Scottish hen that she is, she just figures out everything for them. Yeah. But then everyone else is just kind of like assumed just to kind of figure it out. We have that you know nice yarn knitting uh, Yorkshire lady, I believe is the accent, but she's just kind of more of a like a, a just a comedic relief than anything else. I mean, that's kind of the thing, too, because we have, you know, Babs, Bunty, and Mac, so it's, like, the intelligent one, the dim-witted one, and the brute force, you know, abrasive one. And right. I think that works better classic. in... Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're all, like, classic archetypes. You could fit Fowler in there, too, because, I mean, he's the rooster among the hens before Rocky shows up, but also he's sort mm. of, like, the old pro, this is the wise old whatever, you know, um, but the old-timer, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and I think that fits better in the first one because the first one is more of a character story as opposed to an adventure because there's action going on and there's a clear motive, but the setting never changes. They're not constantly on the move. They're trying to get out of a situation that they're in, and there's a lot of dialogue to sort of establish these relationships because it is a prisoner movie. They don't have they don't have anywhere to go, whereas this one, you know, the sequel being a heist movie or infiltration, whatever you want to call it, Ocean's Eleven, there's a lot of things that they have to work out with these pre-existing characters. And I don't think that they hit the nail on the head every time. Like now they got to take these archetypes, the smart one, the, the brute force one, the dim witted one, and they got to give them things to do for the infiltration. And that should be easy because they have defined characteristics, but they go underutilized and they're just kind of there to remind you that these characters existed. And that's kind of a nostalgia pl uh, ploy as well. But then also there's less meaningful dialogue and character moments as well. There, there's still some there. Um, yeah. don't get me wrong, especially, you know, with Maui, Ginger, and Rocky as the trifecta, but there's a lot less because they're constantly on the move and constantly actively doing things because they're free. They're putting themselves in this situation where they could end up trapped and they do for a brief period, but I, I don't know. The, these, I like the movie too. I like the movie. I think it's a good movie, but I think that it has a bit more problems than the first one does because like I said already, all these characters reached their arc and they had a complete story. And now they're taking them out of retirement for one last job, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a job in the first place. It was yeah. like it was their survival. <laughs> so it's I don't know. I almost I almost would have preferred if the story had kind of focused on where they get to at the end of the movie, where they're doing like raids to break other chickens out, and it becomes kind of a more routine thing, and we oh, get to yeah. see like where that goes and like what consequences come from that those actions. Like that would have been pretty interesting. But as it is. This single thing, despite the fact of how elaborate this facility is, it ironically means there's lower stakes, it almost feels like, because we just see them overcome all these obstacles with basically no difficulties. And then we just kind of see them kind of put along until we kind of reach something appearing to be a conclusion. So, like, they finally get to a point. We've somehow seen the backstory for the next movie, which I I sincerely doubt they'll do, obviously. Um, but, you know, I've been wrong before. Um but yeah, it just it, this feels like something that would have been explained in like an exposition dump in a sequel or something. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of an odd duck as it is. No, no pun intended, <laughs> obviously. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's and like I said, it's the the first one. Its focus is so much tighter as a character driven thing, and just you know seeing the 
there, there's a certain kind of mood that um what was it Ardman is the name of this yes. this production yeah Ar like there's a certain kind of mood that Ardman is very good at establishing just this sort of almost bleakness that can kind of go with this but that very english style of bleakness that is to say well we have nothing better to do so let's let's keep let's keep up with ourselves um yeah. that's just it's it, it drips with personality and atmosphere in the first one and the second one it's trying to feel much more like an american a more americanized kind of like go-getter adventure and it's just not really the same it's not bad by any means but like you said, yeah, we we figured out their happy ending in the first one. They worked very hard for it. It was very well deserved. It doesn't really seem like we went anywhere with this. If anything, it just seems like they've just kind of upended their life to kind of do more wild shit. Like, I would have been fine knowing that these lovely English ladies are living on an island idyllic away from, you know, the the, the rings of capitalism. Um, so I don't know. It's even kind of noting the difference between how their village looks at the end of the first one and the beginning of the second one. Because at the beginning and end of the first one, it's pretty janky. It's pretty. They're pretty much just set up just with the the shambles of everything they were able to bring with them on the crate. But the new one, they've got like it, it's like fucking Rivendell. Like they've like they've they've built like infrastructure and everything. It's kind of wild. It's like are these chickens like the same thing as like the rats of Nim? Like where they're experimented on it somehow and they've now done all this. I don't know. I just found it very funny. Yeah, they're very they're they're intelligent oh. beyond their. Go back and listen to our Secret of Nim episode, by the way. They're very intelligent <laughs> yes. beyond their years. Also, one very brief thing that I. I realized very quickly it was just meant to be like a quick throwaway joke, but there is a moment in the intro where we're seeing Molly grow up where there's a moment where she runs off screen and Ginger and Rocky are palling around and laughing and she comes back on screen without it cutting away. And she's all of a sudden much older looking. And then Rocky does a whole thing of like, what? wasn't she shorter just a minute ago? Um, and it's meant to be like a joke. It's like, oh, they grow up so fast. That sort of thing. I fully thought that was setting up a thing of like, are these chickens like, <laughs> have they been like did, was there like some sort of hormonal thing they were experimented on back in the first movie that we're now gonna like are these like actually super chickens um but it never gets brought up again so i was like damn that would have been that would have been really interesting that idea <laughs> i i for so it just it got stuck in my head for a good 10 minutes of like is that where this is going but i was like no it's 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 obviously just a throwaway joke but still i was just i, I for a brief moment i had the strangest idea where this plot might be taking us um in this little fantasy world of oh these literally are just the chickens of nim <laughs> it's like wow that's a that's that's not the direction i expected all this to go and it, it obviously didn't but still i just i that tickled me the idea of that so much also speaking of speaking of like jokes that sort of fly over your head or, or sort of escape your grasp folks for those for for those of you that are listening a chicken run is like a fenced-in play yard that's attached to a chicken coop. So it's like a real-life yes. thing, but it also doubles as like, you know, the chickens are on the run. But this is yep. an English-ass movie, and I think most people don't know what that is anymore. So I got there explained you go. that to me. I got that explained to me when we saw it in the theater when I was a kid. Oh, really? Um, yeah, well, because like my, my dad grew up around farms, um, so uh -huh. he knew what they were. So he just told me, I was like, oh, that's a really clever joke. And then I'll notice people, I'll tell people that occasionally. I'd kind of forgotten the fact until, you know, obviously the sequel got announced. Um... And I'll tell people, I had told people that occasionally, they're like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, it's not necessarily a very Americanized term, but there, there are still places around. It, mainly, at least when we, where we were at, where the term was still used. Um, but yeah, no, that was just, I, I, it's one of those few times I was like, oh, I actually get the English joke. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, I, had to, uh, I had to learn that for myself because I, I had a great grandfather who had a farm and I was there pretty frequently because he was only 20, uh, his farm was only 20 minutes from the house I grew up in. But I'd never heard that term before. He had one, but that's not what it was called. <laughs> so I think, it's, I think it was a thing like we were where I was from. We grew up around like in the East Coast and kind of the Southeast, like the Southeast. Um, and so a lot of those like kind of all like older terms hung on a bit more. Yeah. Um, 
So I think that's probably the only reason. But I, I more often than I'd still call it just like the chicken. Like I hear people just call it like the chicken yard or the chicken pen or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's one of the few cases of me actually getting the joke that normally that, that normally is just like, oh, that's a British thing. I don't care for it. Which I gotta say, I had to watch this with the subtitles on because good lord, these accents, especially Frizzle or I keep saying Frizz. Is it Frizzle or Frizzy? Frizzle. Um, Frizzle. Thank you. Like Miss Frizzle. Um, fr- Yes, yes, that's what I thought it was. Um, thank you. Um, because my God, her especially the Welsh accent is a very particular accent that is hard to parse sometimes. And then especially like Mac would show up. Like obviously the joke is Mac Scottish and therefore hard to understand. We've all seen the the joke with Merida and like Wreck It Ralph too. Um, it was in the freaking yeah. trailer of like, like we just can't understand her because she's so deeply Scottish. But they don't. But they don't really point out the fact that a lot of the more thick, broad accents are completely unintelligible in some of these. Like, when Frizzle first said the word bucket, I was like, what the fuck are you saying? Because she said it like, bookie? Bookie? I was like, speak English! You in- you people invented this language, speak it! It's like, <laughs> just like, just like my deep, just like, in, like ingrained English prejudice came out, which again, she's Welsh, so it's not the same, but still, like that part of me was like, no, you don't get to just say that and act like that's a normal word you just said. Like, you don't get to do that. It's like, yeah, I saw that on the subtitle. I was like, fuck off. That's what that word was that you just said. That, that's, like, I, that's another that's thing. That's very I, funny. That's another thing I want to point out, just with Ardman in general, um, with, um, Chicken Run and Wallace and Gromit, not not even Wallace and Gromit specifically the feature Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Were Rabbit, I I appreciate how English they are, and they have they have no qualms about remaining that English and not dumbing it down for you know uh, uh, for uh, an, uh, an American audience because these movies specifically Chicken Run and Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Were Rabbit and I think the Shaun the Sheep movies like. Those are American pictures because they're through DreamWorks, but I guess Jeffrey Katzenberg just kind of let them do their own thing, which was very wise because I, I like hearing the word holiday and I like the Welsh accents that are hard to understand, but the joke yeah. isn't that the characters can't understand them. It's just, that's how that person talks. It's, it's know, you know, unapologetically that, that is, English. Yeah. And I do, I do love it. Like obviously, I, I joke mostly with with say with my you know hatred of the English, um, but you know it, it's just I just found that very funny. Just like yeah, very there are a few movies I have to watch subtitles with, but most of the time I watch it anyway, just because people mumble a lot. But this one, it fully was like if I didn't have them on, I would not have understood entire characters. It was just kind of wild, right? I was like. Like, like, it's just, there are so many moments I was like, you cannot tell me that these two people talking to each other, one of them is very discernible, the other one is nowhere near, and they are just conversing like they perfectly understand each other. It's like, how the hell do you do that? Like, there's a, these are practically different dialects. Like, it's wild. So it's just, I don't know. I just I just found that very funny. It just, it stuck out to me in particular, at least in the second one, because it they, the accents definitely were a bit more broad. And like I said, they, they kind of seemed to branch out a bit with the voice actors this time around. Um... And so you could definitely see, you could hear a greater range in voices, which I actually quite liked. Um, but yeah, I just <laughs> just found that in particular to be funny. No, I, I, I'm I on the same page with you. But I think yeah. we have kind of, uh, we've made our, yeah. our stances more or less known. I think the original is yeah. a better movie just because it's it's tighter, but the sequel I don't think by any means is bad. I If you listen to the top of the show, you heard all the fucking shit that I watched from last year, and that's not e- even counting the things I actually saw in theaters last year uh and i can say that dawn of the nugget is one of the one of the better animated films to come out last year just period yeah so yeah 
it's just yeah it's a little it's a little confused in points and i i really think that i i i see what they were going for with ginger sort of finding herself again through her daughter but that doesn't ginger gets her groove back and etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah but that that feels like a c plot more than anything whereas i feel like that should have been the driving force of the movie i don't know yeah and, and that's just a general thing we, we've already pointed out our other qualms but yeah, yeah. otherwise i just think it's a lovely little set of films and it, my god did it make me keep saying the word lovely a lot more than i normally do in my day-to-day basis because they use that word quite a bit yes <laughs> i forget how it is this you really did say it perfectly this these movies are unapologetically english slash british it's like yeah it's like between everything and just like the the fact that the ending um like the ending threat of the first movie is the fact that she gets dumped in a vat of gravy i'm like yeah this is english <laughs> it's like that's it would have been american if it were white gravy but no it's the brown stuff man i i i need to use i need to fit holiday into my uh lexicon more frequently i, I won't yeah. say vacation but, anymore yeah i quite like that let's let's bring some class back into our american sensibilities i'd say as as my irish ancestors want to probably strangle me right now but whatever come on people we're in the 20s talk like it yeah but <laughs> and not and not just because we're post-pandemic and leading into economic disparities <clears throat> uh, god the 20s are fun <laughs> well uh any any additional <laughs> final thoughts on the uh, features today oh and yeah you don't have to include this sentence in do we do the the do we try to come up with a question to ask each other before or after socials uh, before. Okay, gotcha. I was gonna launch into that after whatever. Gotcha. I was just gonna pose a very quick one. No, that's fine. That's uh, fine. It's like, well, I do have a question for you this week. Um, okay. If you could have another of these movies as a spinoff, uh, rather than a chicken farm, what sort of setting would you like to see? You know, the victim, basically the victims of you know factory farms going against their masters. What setting would you like to see of that? <laughs> could you rephrase the question? I'm not sure uh, basically, I follow. Like, you know how, uh, like, the crux of Chicken Run is that it's chickens on a farm trying not to get eaten. What, perhaps, other farm animal would you want to see a film centered on other than chickens that you would want to see, like, and their attempts at a daring escape? Because my idea, I was thinking of a giant herd of cattle in the Old West who decide to fight back against their cowboy captors and just where that would lead. And I mainly just want to see a cow ride a horse. Ooh. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, and we'll call it "Home on the Range." Wait, shit. <laughs> but, um, All right. Okay. So, it's not well, exactly there's, the same. but it's you get what I mean. You get yes. the, you get the premise, and I fully forgot about that movie. So I guess I already have that. So I can go watch that. I guess. Well, I was gonna say pigs, but I think I would be getting too too much of an animal farm feel, and the entire mm. time I'm watching, I'd be like, "What are these pigs gonna do? What are they gonna do when they? <laughs> what are they gonna do when they get free?" I'm keeping yeah. my eye on you, pigs. It's like, I think if any, if there's any farm animal we should truly keep an eye on to see if they would rise up, I actually would believe it to be pigs. I think, <laughs> I think, I think pigs not only have the intelligence, but the drive and bloodlust. Yes, they will. They will eat you. Yes, that is well known at this point. Stay yeah. away from pigs. So I think if uh, we centered one on pigs, it would be actually a much more realistic movie. And that would be sort of terrifying. Um, So that would be hilarious and incredible to watch. Yeah, we could make a horror movie out of it, call it Swine, and get Blumhouse to put it out in February. Oh, God. February, man, not even good enough for the January dumping bin. <laughs> nope. <laughs> put, it, put it out on Valentine's Day. Jesus. Oh. 
Isn't Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of like that already? Where it's meant to be like talking about like like factory farms and you know the and animal trade and that sort of stuff. Is that the message of Texas Chainsaw? Maybe I just missed it. Pretty, I mean, I mean, there's... I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Like, My that's takeaway actually... is don't trust don't trust the hill folk. Well, that too. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's a that's a given. I mean, come on. They're called right, hill yeah. folk for God's sake. <laughs> well, I did. They prefer to be called sons of the soil, but it ain't gonna happen. Um, oh God. but I <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Um Texas Chainsaw Ma- Massacre is actually an adaptation of Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, is what I'm hearing. I mean, it might be. I haven't read The Jungle. I need to. It's a seminal piece, but honestly, <laughs> it might be. Uh, okay. That we're gonna operate know. off of that for now. Fair enough. I can't no one can tell me otherwise until someone tells me otherwise, in which case I'll have to admit to being wrong. <laughs> All right, so I actually, I had a question for you as well. Sure. Um, you are in charge of a movie studio, and you are now going to be making a sequel to a Mel Gibson movie, but you have to recast Mel Gibson. What is it, and who do you get to replace him? Am I not allowed to just say Mad Max Fury Road? No, because uh, someone named George Miller already did that. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> huh. Now, you see, I don't really know a lot of Mel Gibson's filmography. Oh. I, if you, if you, fair enough, if you give me just a quick moment, I might look through his list Okay. and you well, don't have to keep idea, this. My idea can, was yeah, Braveheart with John Goodman. Braveheart I mean, you, 2, Braveheartier. I mean, you just gave the best possible answer. I don't even know how to compete with that, but I will still try. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I can fully see that. Let's ignore the fact that he gets super murdered at the end of that movie. At least the yeah, first but one. He'll, he'll come back as a ghost and possess... I don't know, Scotland. The, the, the entirety, the, the entirety of Scotland. <laughs> I mostly nation. just want to, I mostly just want to hear fucking John Goodman do a Scottish accent. I think that'd be hilarious. Yes. Oh, uh, I, okay. I want there to be a sequel to the Patriot where it's in the civil war and it's just for no reason other than it would be hilarious. He has now played. Um, oh God. I just had his name. Idris Elba. <laughs> oh, Okay. I think, yeah, I hate The Patriot. I think it's a dumb fucking movie. I also hate Braveheart for similar reasons, but I think doing a sequel in the Civil War with a with a now black protagonist would be incredible and also just kind of spit in the face of Mel Gibson. I think that's going to piss off some groups, but all right, let's let's fund our movies. Uh, As if Mel Gibson himself doesn't piss off some groups. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Let's be real here. <laughs> oh, boy. That, that or just like another lethal weapon, but Mel Gibson's character is just played by like a goat. <laughs> I don't really have anything else to expand on that. I just think it's silly. Why did I think you were going to say a second Danny Glover? Because that's clearly the better answer. <laughs> I, I retract. I retract that and say a second Danny Glover. All right, we we, we got a good couple of movies here. Is, I am uh, completely off my rocker. I recognize. Oh boy! Uh, do we want to head into socials? I, I said Please, that like for, like Babs for my for my own sake, sir. Okay. Oh, oh I'm uh, starting to t- I'm starting to talk like them now too. Jesus, <laughs> the English the English are infecting me. They're invading. Uh, <laughs> call not the a, Patriot not again! <laughs> not again! <laughs> call Mel Gibson's the Patriot quick! Um, Jesus Christ! All right, so uh, go ahead and send us an email. Oh no, that's not the first one. <laughs> this is a great great first episode, by the way. Um, Ooh, go ahead, it, baby. <laughs> subscribe to us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Speak, uh, 
Google Podcasts is gone now. Uh, Spreaker, Podbay, Podomatic, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, uh, YouTube. Uh, we're hosted by Spotify for Podcasters. Uh, go ahead, send us an email. They remade it at gmail.com with suggestions for future episodes that we might read and do. Uh, things you like about the podcast, things you don't like the pod- about the podcast. Uh, if you just want to say hi, that is fine as well. Uh, and go ahead and follow us at it remade on Twitter for updates about when podcasts are going live, potential future episodes that we might cover at some point on the show, things that we've been talking about, whether it be movies, TV shows, games, or books that we've been engaging with. Uh, and then little full circle diagrams that I put together regarding folks that we have covered in multiple episodes of the show. And that is it for full circle. Oh, fantastic. Uh, before we close out for the evening, I'd like to apologize to the Hill people. I feel like I was being disparaging by saying, good Lord, they're called Hill people. Uh, you are, uh, you are fine folk and I do not want to have a pickaxe put through my frontal lobe. Yes. I, I, I second that, but I also know that you are not listening because you do not have a way to listen. And if you did, you would think we're some spirit from a magical box. <laughs> what's this, what's this newfangled technology? <laughs> oh man. I have, I realize I have, sim- I have, I jumped out of my hole, got a backhoe and dug <laughs> yeah, the hole we're, deeper. <laughs> we're, we're very isolating this evening. I don't know why we're so aggravating. See, this uh, is the difference between English sensibilities and American sensibilities. Yeah, this is demonstration. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting back against the English fever that is ravaging in my body. <laughs> so. Oh, uh, many symptoms. Oh God. It's just like, just deeper Americanisms. <laughs> Oh, God. Before I dig myself to China, I will just say, as always, I am your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. And have yourselves a lovely day. Oh, God. I, I feel bad for that one. So long. have found a way to make us some real money around here. And what are you on about? Ridiculous notions of escaping chickens. It's all in your head, Mr. Tweedy. Say it. It's all in my head. It's all in my head. Now, you keep telling yourself that because I don't want to hear another word about it. Is that clear? Yes, Lord.